Hey everybody, Jerry here. Uh, thanks for tuning in to Dear Asian Americans. Today, before we get to our interview with Sheila Law, I just want to take a moment to highlight another Asian American business person. This one happens to be an artist, and he is none other than Justin Park. If you've listened to our earlier episodes before we switched up the format to the Helper series, Justin's song TLC is the song that we kick off all of our shows with. And I want to highlight Justin because he is an amazing artist and he is a good, good guy. Um, he belongs to the team at 5A Label, who is led by Peter Hong, another great friend of mine um, who I've been lucky to know for the last 20 years. You can check out Justin and support him right now at 5alabel.com. You can go buy his music. You can go buy some merch at the shop link on the website at 5alabel.com. Help your musician friends. Tours are canceled. Festivals are canceled. And so they're going through a lot. Uh, music people, especially people behind the scenes, are suffering a lot. So let's do what we can. Support your musician friends. And so if you got a moment today, head over to 5alabel.com and go buy a Justin Park t-shirt. Now here's our episode with Sheila. Welcome, everybody, to the Helper series on the Asian Americans. Hope you are having a great time at home. And if your family members are there with you, um, whether they be your kids or your parents, it may be challenging, but let's make the most of it. Um, today on the show, we want to explore topics of what we can do from our home offices and from our dining tables um, in a way of reconnecting and connecting with new friends uh, during these times where we are doing our part, um, staying home. So I'm really happy to share this conversation and welcome uh, my friend Sheila to the show. Hi, Sheila. Hey, Jerry. Uh, Sheila has a great background in actual community organizing in her home state of Missouri um, through elections, through politics, and she has just a great wealth of knowledge and background. Um, so Sheila, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, where's home? How did you grow up? And what really got you uh, excited about organizing? Yeah. Uh, so first of all, thank you for having me on. For uh, folks who don't know me on this podcast, um, Jerry and I went oh, didn't overlap, but have a lot of mutual friends from both attending the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. Um, so I'm from the Midwest. I'm from mid-Missouri, um, born and raised, and like I like to say, radicalized. Um, and politically. So I um, grew up in a college town, uh, went to public schools, like in a relatively diverse town, especially for the Midwest, um, and really caught my footing in political action um, during my sophomore year of high school. It was my first exposure to folks whose parents had been really politically involved and who would take me to things, whether it was a Noam Chomsky speech at the University of Missouri or to my first protest, um, actually against the Iraq war in 20, I want to say 14, 15. Um, so that was my first taste. And as I started to understand that there was space for younger people in politics, I really started to edge my way into those. Um, starting in undergrad at the University of Missouri, I uh, worked for a congressional campaign, volunteered for the local Dems chapter. Uh, eventually working my way into national policy, working at the Center for American Progress, National Bureau of Asian Research, and interning at the Missouri State House and at Pro then Progress Missouri. Um, I think that just by having those opportunities available, I really took hold of them. I also found more of a home in political work 
than in um, really any other like field, for lack of a better word. Um, I After I graduated from undergrad, I lived abroad for a few years, and it was during that time that I realized what it means to be a a resident who can't be involved and the limitations that really puts on me. Um, I lived in Sri Lanka and India, and in Sri Lanka, it was five years after the end of a 30-year civil war um, where no one was really politically active and even to this day continues to not be. Um, And I lived in India during the 2014 elections, which was like a really weird experience as somebody who is politically engaged in the U.S. and obviously I'm Indian-American, so I look like I could be politically engaged there, but realized that there's such a divide. And I really missed being engaged in those conversations, especially as they related to um, economic conversations that are being had um, by regular people. So after those two years abroad, I chose to come back to Missouri um, to work in policy. Um, my parents were a little confused for a few years. Like, what do you do? Like, you make you have a salary, but like, what do you actually do day to day? And it wasn't until we started going to 2016 candidate uh, fundraisers that my parents realized, oh, the work I do is around networking and bringing different people to a table and to get political, to get policy done. Um, and that I had expanded that role beyond, um, just people who have state, who are stakeholders in the Missouri political realm, but to actual residents and citizens, um, in mid Missouri and in St. Louis. Uh, one of the bigger actions that I took within the Asian American community, uh, while living in Missouri was, um, to organize why, like, why do state government, why does state government matter panels for Indian Americans and Chinese American uncles and aunties to help spur that conversation um, and start uh, engaging folks in, in meeting them where they're at. I think like I've always just felt much more comfortable in the organizing space because it requires talking to people and getting to know them as opposed to making top-down or in, uninformed decisions, which uh, in my current role uh, kind of is uh, a little disconcerting um, post MBA. Um, I've I remained in organizing after leaving uh, graduate school, uh, and I've remained in Michigan. Remained in organizing. Um, I'm currently on the board of a new Asian American nonprofit called Rising Voices of Asian American Families, uh, which was developed to create space for um, Asian American women, non-binary folks, and like just general family structures to have a, uh, to learn, um, how to socially, uh, move past the barriers we set for ourselves to create pan Asian American communities and eventually convert that social, those social relationships into political relationships and getting more Asian American women involved in the political process. Um, so yeah, very long winded story trying to explain as concisely as possible, like how I ended up here. Sheila, I, I think you bring one of the most unique perspectives even in my primary circle, because I think the path that you have chosen, in addition to just who you are, a South Asian woman in Missouri who's worked on politics and organizing both here and in Asia with now a business education that works on the corporate side of things, but still your heart and your passions lie in the community. Mm -hmm. I, I think those bucket all those experiences and your perspective, and most importantly, where your heart is, I think is what we need more of, uh, not just now, ever more mm-hmm. now, uh, given 
all the fun things that are um, going on in the world today. Yeah. Um, obviously not fun, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a challenging yeah. time for a lot of people. And it is also a time when even though we're so connected digitally, we're not used to being home so much. Yep. I've often thought, you know, during these self-isolation and um, social distancing times, thinking, man, what if this was 10 years ago? And then you think about all the technologies that we take for granted today that didn't exist 10 years ago, and then do another 10. You know, yeah. in the year 2000, yeah, people had cell phones, but an internet was there, but it wasn't widespread. Um, and, and so I think there are things that we have now become accustomed to, uh, whether you grew up in an era without, and now we have, uh, you know, gotten ourselves used to, or you are part of the younger generation who this is all, this is the only world you knew. So let, let's talk in general before we talk about the, you know, the three specific efforts that you've, you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you translate what you've learned in the physical community organizing and, um, you know, the business of getting people together to the table in, into a digital sense? What, what is the mindset that we need to have to um, make that as, as successful or as enjoyable as possible? Yeah, this is something I'm constantly iterating on and thinking about, um, which is how do you meet somebody where they're at um, in terms of like physical platforms or internet access, language usage, like, or even the the modes that they're interested in communicating with you in. Um, and the more I think about that, the more I realize like there's so many more networks that I don't have access to that um, it's really important to like think about the degrees of connections that you have within communities. So when I, before business school, I realized that my communities were very much mid-Missouri related and then extended a little bit to St. Louis, but that they were all relatively upper middle class with some access to like middle class networks um, and not very many uh, touch points into lower income networks. Business school um, had the potential to completely remove those uh, those other networks and just keep me within the upper middle class to wealthy networks, especially when it comes to Asian American organizing, um, because of the de facto like class privilege or class like bump that happens during an MBA. Um, but through Rising Voices, I've been incredibly intentional about opening my mind up and opening up my um, actual physical space, like my home or the homes that I go to, to diversify those those networks and diversify those stories that I'm listening to um, in order to ensure that how I'm communicating is more than just um, an echo chamber. Yes, I had the the opportunity to physically leave my home at that point and go meet people uh, where they're at, but there there are so many different organizations in all these cities and all these uh, geographies that um, can act as catalysts to diversifying um, your social and professional network outside of like the, uh, the socioeconomic status or racial ethnic identifiers that we hold. And I think that's really crucial when we're thinking about um, like actually organizing. So given, and, and things are changing so quickly, mm-hmm. um, many cities are now um, short of calling it, you know, a lockdown um, shelter in place in, in some of the, the biggest cities. And um, right now we're talking on Tuesday afternoon and uh, New York City Mayor de Baggio alluded to the fact that one may be coming to New York City soon, which means yeah. um, more people, um, perhaps against their uh, primary wishes, uh, may be forced to stay home. 
Yeah. Um, we we talked before we started recording about three specific initiatives that, um, you know, one was in place already, and and two um, that have become a little bit more important and meaningful um, as we begin this new normal of being okay with digital connection replacing actual face to face human connection. Um, so share with us about uh, let's let's start with your book club first. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, in the summer of 2018, I started uh, Unerased Book Club, which is the only nationwide uh, book club focusing and centering Asian American authors. We had it because of grad school and some burnout, it fizzled out. But now under Rising Voices, we've started it up again and have actually uh, integrated a virtual hangout option for people who, for whatever reason, and this was established before the coronavirus uh, isolation uh, period that for anybody, for any who had no reason, no excuse, like is able to join a virtual hangout. Um, And the point of this book club is one to highlight that Asian American authors write about so many things and write in so many formats. And our stories are so much more diverse than um, your brain drain immigration story um, that there's so many more like rough edges and nuances in our, our in our community that we should actually have a way to talk about them. I also wanted to create this book club in order uh, to encourage people in different communities to come together. Um, so it's not, so it's more of a locality based uh, membership. So if you're in St. Louis or if you're in Santa Fe, like you should be able to still meet people who are reading the same books that you're reading and get to know them and, Kind of the same model that Rising Voices is in, where we want people to have a different or more diverse set of friends in their cities, as opposed to relying on the virtual friendships that can happen across the the country. Um, there's something really powerful about rooting your organizing and and your even your reading in the city that you're in. Um, so the book club is monthly. We have a national hangout that will be happening at the end of the month. Um, you can check the website for more information on eraseBookClub.com. We change books uh, every month. At the beginning of the month, I send out an email. Um, this is the first time we've been, do- we're going to do a virtual hangout. So I'm not sure how that, uh, the numbers will look like, but we have currently like 120 readers across the country, um, which is pretty cool. And we're hoping to bump that number up a little bit more. Um, so yeah, that's like under with coronavirus now, having a virtual option is so crucial to getting people to stay engaged. Um, there's something really freeing about reading a new book and um, especially being able to talk about it with people who um, may have been processing the same types of information, the same feelings. Uh, and there's something really intangible and beautiful about bonding over a piece of culture or piece of literary work that you can't really replicate with any other cultural medium. I don't think that having it virtually takes away from that. In fact, I think it gives you a reason to get online and chat and kind of be a little bit vulnerable with people you may not know. Share with me very quickly how your book selection process works and yeah. what you are reading this and next month. Yeah, um, this is a. I took so much time to think about like how we pick these books, but um, I read probably about twenty or twenty-five books. I think about how accessible are they? So can you easily get them at a public library? Do they have an audiobook format? Do they have an ebook format? Um, or can you buy them from a local bookstore? Um, from there, I think about the balance, like are the books orthogonally balanced? Do we have a good mix of representation from 
throughout the Asian American community. Like, I don't want it to be so heavy on like Chinese American or Indian American authors. I want there to be like a Japanese American, a Filipino American, et cetera, like really getting a sense of the the broader community. And then I think about the actual medium uh, or the medium of uh, literary work. So is it, I want some poetry, some graphic, fi- the graphic novels, nonfiction, fiction, young adult fiction. Um, so getting like a good mix there. And then finally, um, are these, are the questions that come out of these books thought provoking enough to encourage more than uh, more conversations or deeper conversations? So that is my process. It doesn't, um, when I think of it that way, if I use that framework, it's actually relatively easy to shortlist my books. I have, and I have a list ready to go for 2021, um, because there's so many really awesome pieces of uh, writing that are coming out of the Asian American author space. Um, but this month we are reading The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. It's a nonfiction look at um, how do you plan events or how do you set intentions with any sort of gathering, which is uh, very timely for moving a lot of gatherings right. online. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I read that book also in 2018 and it has stuck with me from then on out. I it actually in influenced the way I think about a lot of other sorts of gatherings and how do you create intention around hanging out with people, even if it's supposedly casual. Um, and then the book for the month after, ah, it's uh, The Buddha in the Attic by Julia Otsuka. Um, it's a really beautiful and heartbreaking um, multi-narrative look at uh, Japanese women coming over from the 1840s uh, through internment. Um, so it's multi, multi-perspective. You don't really actually get a sense of who each person is, but you get this um, collective understanding of the Japanese female experience in the U.S. I read it on the way to Mexico City uh, in 2017 and like was sobbing while reading it. Um, so that should hopefully highlight the different types of books that uh, we're putting out there. That is amazing. So for those of you that are listening or have discovered the Asian Americans uh, in 2020, it actually started uh, back in 2019 as a um, Asian Pacific American Heritage Month Instagram series where I highlighted a number of my friends who were doing amazing things um, without audio, just pictures and a description. And and one of my friends who uh, I, I love and I adore and I respect uh, for all that she's done for the community is Professor Sarah Park Dahlin um, from the University of St. Catharines in, in the Twin Cities. And she leads a movement called uh, We Need Diverse Books. And mm-hmm. she is a big proponent of uh, diverse literature across the board and, and particularly with children's literature. So um, to, to you and to Sarah for um, not only highlighting, but celebrating and uh, driving up the sales of and encouraging other people uh, to start writing. Um, you know, just last week we had children's author um, Helena Kuri. I, I think it's amazing. Um, so that I think is an amazing, um, it, it's a two sort of a, you know, birds with one stone because you have community in discussing your book, but also it forces you to keep up with the book, yeah. right? So you are giving yourself uh, two things to do um, when I know you can't technically run out of things to watch on Netflix, but <laughs> um, one, one should limit his or her time. Um, so I think the uh, the book club idea it is fantastic, and a um, a lot of the themes that you shared in terms of um, inter Asian representation um, 
mindset and mm-hmm. intention is something that I am very, very thoughtful about um, in producing this show as well. Um, I, I know what my biases are. I know where my personal networks are stronger and, and weaker, even within the Asian American spectrum. So, yeah, it's it's not easy, but uh, I, I think every little bit helps, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I thank you for that. Oh, um, yeah. let, let's the, the second one. I, I think it's even. I, I just told people to stop watching Netflix, but we're going to go back to maybe encouraging you to get in front of a screen. Um, yeah. <laughs> t- tell me about your yeah your um, curation of a list of documentaries that um, you think we should watch during this time. Yeah. Uh, so. I'm from Columbia, Missouri, and Columbia has the awesome honor of hosting the premier documentary film festival in the country called True False. And so I've been going to it since high school. So it's been um, over 15 years. And um, they put out, so I decided, hey, like there's all these amazing documentaries. A lot of them I know have been picked up by big production houses. Like they also get to premiere the Obama produced um, documentary. So I'm actually going to go through and I'm going to create a document of, I've only done three years. There's plenty more. There's a decade and a half left to go, but of curating all of the films that they have um, screened at the festival and then cross-checking to see if these films are on Amazon, Netflix, or Hulu um, or Canopy and um, just creating a crowdsource document from there. Uh, So I have been sending it to a lot of my friends who have spent significant amounts of time in Missouri and have asked them to spread it widely and the hope is that for all the joy that True False brings to its participants, um, that you can kind of recreate that magic of maybe watching a documentary with a friend virtually and then talking about it, being like, hey, I know we saw this like four years ago, but I've watched it again and I have new thoughts. Um, so I just did that today. And um, a lot of the people I've sent it to have been really, really pleased and like happy that it reached their inbox. Um, so if you're interested in, uh, in looking at it, uh, Jerry, I'll send it to you and you can put it in the show notes. Uh, but it's a pretty simple list. Uh, the movies are all incredibly curated by one of my oldest friends, uh, who's a program manager at the at the festival. Um, and so you really can't go wrong with any of the the films on that list. Thank you. Yeah, I want to highlight if listeners haven't caught on. There's one thing that you are doing far and above what other book clubs and other uh, list shares are doing, which is you care about access. You are picking things that are widely available, which is a topic that is becoming more and more important as we talk about health services, as we talk about even testing Mm -hmm. of the virus. Um, Drive-through clinics are great, but what if they don't have cars? Exactly. Um, You know, having healthcare workers out there in the field are great, but what if they don't speak your language? Yes. Um, And and so, I I mean, that is something that... um, I, I am in incredible awe of Sheila, and I think it's awesome that you are taking that additional step because I don't care if you think the movie is great. If people can't watch it in an affordable and accessible mm-hmm. way, it doesn't really matter. Exactly. So the first two things are about gathering and, and sharing the work of other people. Um, the third one, I think, is amazing, um, something that um, I have started to do a little bit more of. Um, so share with us a little bit about your third and final ways to engage or re-engage with your friends during uh, this slow time or this not slow time, this self time. Yes. So we all know that you have those friends who say, Hey, let's catch up sometime and nothing ever manifests. And I saw um, on Facebook that a friend from my new American leaders network posted, um, a calendarly, uh, link and was like, Hey, if you want to catch up, just like book 30 minutes with me. And I was like, you know what? 
I want to do that. So I copied Vanessa and uh, who is actually a James Beard uh, fellow this year in food studies. So just want to quickly give her a shout out. Um, and, uh, and I decided to do the same thing. I posted it yesterday and I already have nine 30 minute blocks, uh, scheduled with people from really different parts of my life. We're just like, yeah, uh, let's hang out. Let's like drink some tea or drink some coffee. Or if somebody wants to drink beer, go for it. And we'll just like chat for 30 minutes. And, um, for me, it's a really important way of just listening to folks I haven't been able to chat with in a while. And, help like readjust and um, readjust like the way I think about them, but also the way that I am understanding their part of our like national narrative. Um, so I'm really looking forward to catching up with people in the next few weeks. That's awesome. Um, I've done a few of these already with groups or, you know, with smaller groups that I belong to and just say, Hey, whoever's available, come on. Um, I use Calendly to book all my podcast recording sessions it's a really easy, amazing tool. Neither of us are getting paid to plug it. I just think it's super easy and makes <laughs> yeah. your life easier. Yes. For all the parents out there, something that uh, we have been doing for my three-year-old and his preschool classmates is to do a virtual breakfast conference call at 8 a.m., which is the time that the kids usually eat breakfast together at preschool. Um, so if you, you know, it's it's hilarious and it's cute and it's funny. Um, but you know, even, even, uh, toddlers need human connection at this point too. And thank God that we live in an era where, um, we have the ability to connect as close as we can, uh, through audio and video mm -hmm. still, which, um, again, there might be some listeners who might wonder what life was like before any of this, but you know, it is something that. I don't certainly take for granted. And even the ability, Sheila, now for us to uh, have this conversation, to record it, and then to yeah. be able to put it on platforms that if I look at my, you know, where the people are listening to the podcast from, it's quite interesting and amazing. And, um, you know, as it grows, I think it will be more fun to see where people are listening from. Ah, oh, man, I, I think what you're doing is amazing. Um, and it's one person making one thing, right? So, in a world of never-ending media blitzes and whatnot, you know, and celebrities getting a, you know, wait, I don't want to say undeserved, but um, an over-index share of media attention for some of the yeah. good that they may be doing. Yeah. Um, I really wanted to bring you on as human to human. I know that behind the scenes, you are really making a difference. And uh, we thank you for that. I think it's uh, needed, not just now, but going forward. So thanks for being you, Sheila. Oh, thanks, Jerry. And I really appreciate the work you're doing with the podcast and creating another way for um, Asian Americans and non-Asian Americans to understand that we have multiple layers and multiple existences. Like it means a lot. Yeah. If you're not an Asian American and you're listening to this extra kudos, man, um, you might be uh, married to one or um, parent of one or however you ended up here. Thank you. It's, it's especially trying time for many of us as we go through some nonsense and um, stupid behavior um, that is uh, unfortunately directed to us mm -hmm. um, in, in, you know, some hateful ways, but um, glad you're here, um, whoever you are and wherever you may be listening from. So Sheila, I, you know, the, the name of the show is Dear Asian Americans. It is inspired in the form of a letter to us and from us uh, to share more of our stories, to celebrate, support, inspire. And so I would love for you to help us close out the show by 
narrating or speaking a letter to us. So I will start and help us finish. Okay. Dear Asian Americans. In order for other people to understand your story, you have to understand theirs as well. The only way to self-liberation is collective liberation. I hope you take this leap with us. Say more about that last part. Yeah. um, The liberation part. Yeah. I find that um, there are a lot of conversations about like siloed off Asian American experiences. Like for right now, like for instance, right now with the coronavirus, um, a lot of, there's a lot of racism targeting South, sorry, not the Southeast and East Asian Americans. Um, South Asian Americans are not being as targeted, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't stand in solidarity. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't stand in solidarity with black folks uh, who are at the root end of systemic racism. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't stand in solidarity with indigenous folks who've been oppressed since I mean, colonizers got here. And all of that requires us to unlearn the stereotypes that we hold of other communities. Um, and the, my, per, my favorite way to do that is by reading and actually watching uh, movies or TV shows that center positively those uh, folks from those communities. And uh, yeah, that's um, one. Those are really strong ways to help build community in intangibles. Thank you. It it is a theme of the show. We need to be here for each other, even though our experiences and our stories may not completely overlap, even though you may not resonate completely with Sheila's story. Every one of our stories has common themes that we can all relate to. And whether you're Asian American or not, once we start to peel back every single layer that we have identified ourselves with, we are human, every single one of us. And, and that's the, the strongest tie that right now in, in, this, in the face of this insane and, and unforeseen crisis that should be bringing us together. If you see violence out there, say something, do something. If you see racism on Facebook, do something. Be bold. Call them out. This is not Unfortunately, it is not a time to not say anything because you're afraid to offend the offender mm-hmm. or to save relationships that maybe shouldn't be saved. I know that I have a strong opinion on this, but I, I don't think things are going to get much easier until they get a little bit more worse, unfortunately. And when we look back during this time in history, years and years from now, it will be telling was on the right side of history. And this is not anything to do with me or anybody else being on the right side of history and saying, I told you so, but listen to the experts, but also have a heart, be a human being, call it out. Everybody's going through something. There's not a single person in the universe who hasn't or who will not get personally impacted by what's going on. So um, I encourage you uh, to to do what um, is right by us and what feels right in your heart. Um, Sheila, thank you again so much for providing an exa- amazing example of how uh, we can all meet people where they are, meet people um, how they want to be met in, in sharing books, um, documentaries that highlight uh, amazing other people's stories and for, you know, showing us and suggesting ways that uh, we can reconnect with some lost friends. Um, yeah, of course. I, I, I wish you, yeah, I, I wish you and your family much health and, and much safety as we go through this thing together. And um, yeah, until... Uh, you know, until the day that we can all see each other and uh, hang out um, and have a beer at Skeeps. Yeah. <laughs> and that is a, a fun reference for all of our fellow Michigan friends. Um, you know, it is, uh, we'll, we'll get through this together and um, 
yeah, so I, I will put all the links to the book club and the documentary list and how you can connect with Sheila if you would like to connect with her and sign up for a virtual coffee date with her. Um, so Sheila, thank you so much. Thank you, Jerry. And thank you, listeners. Thank you. Hey, everybody, I really hope you enjoyed my story with Sheila. Um, she's an amazing human being that I, I think inspires so many of us. Um, and I think it's pretty cool. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, I think sometimes uh, MBAs or business school grads get a bad rep for being super robotic business people. But and then sometimes you meet somebody like Sheila, who is uh, debunking those myths and uh, showing us that at the core of it all, um, we really do care about each other. So I want to thank Sheila again for joining us on the show. Um, if her story resonated with you, if you know somebody in your life right now, if somebody's uh, name face uh, popped up into your head as we were talking about the book club, the documentaries or a one to one connection, please share this episode with them. Let us let them know about the show. Um, this is a, uh, for lack of a better term, this podcast is a just the Jerry show right now. Um, we are growing organically. We're not spending any money to try to buy listeners or anything. Um, it, and it starts with those of you listening and then really sharing it out to the people that you think want to listen to this. So from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for investing precious time that you have right now and listening to our story. And I will ask you one more help or I will ask for one more bit of help and uh, share this episode and, and share our show with us if you think uh, that will provide value to somebody else in your life. Um, follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at The Asian Americans. You can hit me up if you want to come on the show or if you know somebody in your life whose story needs to be celebrated. Be safe out there, everybody. Stay home and I will see you next time.